What's up, sports fans? It's time for Let Me Speak. I'm Joe Braverman, and on this show, we discuss the big news in the world of sports as heard from me, myself, and I. Here's what we'll be talking about this week. A full breakdown of every team after the first three weeks of the NFL season. Plus, which of those teams has been the biggest surprise in the NFL so far? And who's in the best spot to make the playoffs with less than a week left in the MLB's regular season? You're listening to episode 87 of Let Me Speak. Time to get things started. Drop that intro. September 26, 2023, for the 87th edition of Let Me Speak. I know it's been a while, but thank you all for tuning back in. We've had a couple of unexpected uh, things go on that kind of push things uh, back a couple of weeks. Obviously, we're trying to do this podcast as much as we can, but just trying to work around as much as possible. So lucky able to get back on this and what's this song going up on a Tuesday. That's what we're doing right here on Tuesday, September 26th. And I knew I wanted to get back as soon as I could because the NFL season is underway and we got to get deep into football. But I got to tell you, it's a little bit of chaos right now over at a WEEI. We're making a big transition from baseball season. We've got uh, Patriots Mondays and Fridays getting underway. We'll eventually get the uh, Bruins and the Celtics season going on as well. So it's a little bit of a, a changing season, I guess. Well, kind of like similar to how it is in the fall right now. You can see with the sweatshirt on, it's a little cold out there. Obviously not as cold as what it's been in the summer, but I would just love to see the sun. I mean, I'm looking out my window right now. I see overcast skies and it's like, can we get some sunshine, please? I'm just begging and begging and begging. But luckily we're going to squeeze this episode in, hopefully before the sunshine comes in, because hey... If you're going to be stuck inside, why not do this? So let's just get right into it because we've got a lot to cover. It has been a long time, as I said, since we were last on, and there's already been three weeks of the NFL season going on. And honestly, it's hard to draw any conclusions three weeks in a 17-week season. But I got to tell you, there's just a lot of stuff going on. And how we're going to do this, we're going to break this down team by team. So we'll start in the AFC. Take a short break, go to the NFC, and just really just get get it all out here in terms of football. What exactly is going on? And I think one of the biggest stories as we kick off the AFC, you have to look at the Dolphins, maybe the best team right now in the AFC. They're at 3-0, and and I honestly feel like last Sunday was a statement, a big statement. I'm, I mean, 70 to 20, 70 points. In an NFL game, I was only three away from a new record. Unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And honestly, that's the assessment of the Dolphins was that when everyone was on the field and they were healthy, they can be a really good team. And sure enough, Tua is showing how good he can be when he's healthy. The offense is just so explosive. I mean, take away uh, week two where they were a little bit held in check. Um, but they have just been monsters on the offensive side of the ball outside of week two. I mean, 
I would call them the most explosive offense with what uh, Mike McDaniel has uh, constructed down there in South Beach. Obviously, I said Tua, the way he's, I mean, second leading passer right now in football. And just the play calling. When you when you see how they're running plays, it's a lot of motion. It's a lot of misdirection. I mean, they're killing it on the run game. Tyreek Hill is obviously a monster. Four touchdowns, 412 yards over three weeks. I mean, Miami looks unstoppable. They look unstoppable. But at least for me, I can't be sold uh, on the Dolphins being legit contenders this early. Um, but there are three matchups that I think, at least early on, are going to give me some hints. The first one is going to be next week when they play the Bills. Obviously, what Miami has done, uh, you you had the blowout win with Denver. Uh, you had the uh, uh, New England win, obviously. And then uh, their week one victory um, over trying to get the schedule really quickly. I don't have it memorized right now. Uh, yes, the Chargers. I remember that shootout with the Chargers. They had that big shootout. They had the Patriots where the offense was a little bit stifey, and then they just go nuts uh, against the Broncos. But next week against the Bills, that's going to be really their first big test. That's a really good team that they're going to be playing. I also want to look week seven, a couple of weeks down the road, when they head to Philly, take on the Eagles. That's, again, possible Super Bowl preview. I want to see how they can fare against that team. And then obviously when they go to Germany week nine and face Kansas city, those are the three games, at least for me this early in the season, that's going to at least point out to me how legit the dolphins are because they were playing good last season before Tua got those multiple concussions. And we saw what the offense can look like when you have Tyreek and Jalen Waddle as well. Now you've got a dynamic runner in Raheem Mostert. And you have a defense that's also, it might not be great, but it's at least manageable. You know, similar to what the Chiefs defense has meant for a couple of years. It's a manageable defense. Is that what the Dolphins can be? So I, I'm impressed with the Dolphins, but I'm not sold on them just yet as being legit, true contenders it's going to be those three matchups if they can go two and one maybe three and oh then i will say okay this is a team to be reckoned with watch out if they come out of the afc because outside of really the chiefs which we'll get to a little bit later it's wide open in that afc wide open no one knows who's really going to be coming out uh, but i mentioned buffalo really quickly they're another team i'm still skeptical on i mean let, let's go back all the way to week one when Josh Allen and the entire Buffalo team looked pedestrian against the Jets. I mean, they couldn't beat an Aaron Rodgers list Jets team. And they had uh, in overtime, a walk-off uh, kickoff return. I mean, that that's an air of caution right there. And then you think, oh, these last two weeks where they dominate over the Raiders and dominate over the commanders. Oh, they're definitely going to be back. No, I'm not going to say it. Um, that week one loss is still lingering in my head and it just still doesn't look very good considering where the jets are now who we'll talk about up next i mean really josh allen after week one you had issues of like oh is this buffalo team like are they dropping down are they dropping down are they not as good as we thought they were i mean they're gonna be really good against these really bad teams okay so you expect wins over the raiders 
and the Commanders. It's those, again, high-profile matchups, similar to the Dolphins. How do they do? How will they expect? Because obviously you have the Allen to Diggs connection, which is making everyone forget about that little blow-up on the sideline during the playoff game against the Bengals. Everyone's forgetting about that for now. And we all know that this Buffalo team is going to be a really good regular season team. It's when they get to the postseason, how good are they going to be? And for me, until they get it done in the playoffs, you can't take them seriously. So do I expect the Bills to still make the playoffs? Of course I do. Division, eh, like I said, with the Dolphins next week, that'll be a real test because that's really the first big team that they're going to be playing against. I mean, the offense really looks the same defensively. Um, they're still the same. They're basically the same team as last year. That's essentially all it is. Is like nothing has really changed there. If they get to the postseason and they go a long way, then I'll say, okay, the window is still a little bit open for those guys. Uh, but we mentioned the Jets, who uh, the Bills were defeated by in week one. Whew. I mean, what what more do you have to say about the New York Jets? I mean, if you transition from a future first ballot Hall of Famer, a guy who was brought in to basically revitalize the franchise uh, and give them their first legit quarterback since Broadway Joe Namath back in Super Bowl three, And then you go to a guy who was benched in the middle of last year. <laughs> I mean, Aaron Rodgers to Zach Wilson might be the biggest drop-off in quarterbacks in league history. History. Because that offense did a complete 180 once Aaron Rodgers went out. I mean, yeah, Zach Wilson had some good drives and he led the Jets to that comeback win uh, over the Bills. But come on, the next week they get obliterated by the Cowboys. They were competitive against New England, but they still lost that one. I mean, let's just face it. Zach Wilson is not an NFL quarterback. He he. He's good for these, you know, sub-leagues like the XFL, the USFL, or the Arena League or any of that kind of stuff. But he's not an NFL guy. You can just see it that he stays in the pocket too long. He gets totally flushed out and completely panics when he gets when he has to run either to his left or his right, and he just goes to O-Reliable and throws it out of bounds. That's essentially what it is. And this was a guy who was the number two pick in the NFL draft. I mean, which, by the way, that QB class isn't looking as good now. Um, but, I mean, obviously fans are going to be upset if you're going from Aaron Rodgers to Zach Wilson. Because, I mean, let, let's just say it like this. If Aaron Rodgers was in these last two games um, for the Jets against the Cowboys and against the Patriots, would they have won those games? Would they be 3-0 and right now? I would say they would be 2-1 and because, obviously, even Aaron Rodgers would struggle against that Dallas defense. And New England, defensively, their years, which we'll talk about in Let's Get Local, their defense feasts on really bad quarterbacks. So that's nothing new there. So honestly, I tweeted this out on Sunday. I don't think Zach Wilson might make it to midseason. He might be off the season. He might be off the roster uh, by week eight, if you're asking me. Because, yeah, Robert Saul says, oh, this is still a transition phase. Everyone's still getting it in. Yeah, it's three weeks in, but you also saw this last season. And yeah, the attitude might be better with uh, Wilson basically getting mentored by Rogers. Um, but still, the result it's a results-driven uh, game. It's a results-driven league. And if Zach Wilson 
continues to look pedestrian, you, your hand might need to be forced. It has to be forced. And obviously, this is not what the Jets fans expected. They didn't expect Aaron Rodgers to rupture his Achilles four snaps into his career. So they just have to be a little bit more patient. If Rodgers comes back, uh, he will be the Jets quarterback. I don't believe that he's going to retire or anything like that. He's got, you know, for for the ego that Rodgers has, he also has a lot of pride. Um, so I expect Rodgers to be back in a Jets uniform, but it is going to be an ugly season. Ugly season. And I expect the Jets to maybe get a top 10 draft pick the way that they're going. They might grab a few wins here and there, but I expect them to um, get a top 10, you know, and obviously there's trade considerations, which by the way, I did not look that up between them and the Packers. So I don't even know if they'll get that pick or if it's the Packers. Da, 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 da. Um, but either way, it's going to be another long season for those Jets fans, a long season. Um, but moving divisions though, I want to look now at the AFC North and uh, let's look at the Ravens who are currently uh, second place right now. And obviously everyone, predicted them if not the Bengals to win that division they're sitting at two and one right now and honestly it's it's like deja vu I don't know what it is with the Ravens but it seems that the only thing that gets in their way every single year is injuries I mean you have your secondary completely banged up you're basically on your fourth running back Dobbins is out Edwards is out Justice Hill is out I mean you had to go to Melvin Gordon you had to get him off of the practice squad for crying out loud um, and really, to me, that's the big difference. That is the big difference because everyone has said Lamar Jackson is a tremendous mobile quarterback, but he needs to be a thrower. He needs to improve his throwing. And obviously, he had the weapons. Obviously, Odell Beckham Jr. didn't play last year. Um, you also have the rookie pick Zay Flowers out of Boston College. Um, you obviously have Bateman. You've got the hot tight end Mark Andrews, but... In, your fir- in the first three games for Lamar, 169 yards against Houston, 237 Cincy, and 202 against Indianapolis. That's not going to happen. This needs to be a 300-yard-plus passer. And then the occasional runner. Lamar can't be the leading rusher. He's got to learn to be a thrower before a rusher. And John Harbaugh really has to work with that offense to give Lamar more throwing opportunities than running opportunities. Because, yeah, he can help you out. Um, in that category. But honestly, if he's not throwing the ball 300 yards each time, or at least maybe like 275, it's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. Um, and we we know that if Lamar continues to go this way, he'll somehow, some way get injured. He'll have an ankle injury or a, a knee injury or something like that. Not wishing an injury, but I'm saying that's the road it usually goes down to. So if you're asking me, Injuries and Lamar's throwing are the two big keys for the Ravens right now. Really the key right now. Because right now they're looking up at the Pittsburgh Steelers. and They're not going to last that long. Obviously, the Browns are already in the rear view. And the Bengals are just now coming. They're starting to get their mojo. So watch out. But speaking of the Steelers, I mean, let's face it. This is going to be each and every year a competitive team. They're always going to be a competitive team. But just the offensive power and explosiveness, I guess, is really the big issue. Because don't get me wrong, this might be arguably the best defense in the league right now. You already have TJ Watt with six sacks on the line. Um, and even without uh, 
Hayward, excuse me, even without some of their big weapons uh, defensively, you know, this is still a formidable defense no one wants to go against. The problem is Kenny Pickett doesn't have, he's he's not an explosive quarterback and he doesn't really have some big options. Obviously, Deontay Johnson is on IR, but your only weapon right now, at least to me, who's a uh, game-changing uh, offensive weapon, is George Pickens. That's really all you got. I mean, I like Pat, Pat Fryermuth as a tight end, but really, you're not going to get this from uh, the, the rookie Austin or from Allen Robinson. Um, obviously, Najee Harris is a steady back. He's not a big back, but he's a steady back. Um, so for the Steelers, I, I think it's just going to be like last year. I think I expect them to finish over 500. I, I do think Mike Tomlin's streak of that will continue, but really they just they're just kind of a a meh offense. You know, they're not terrible, but they're not fantastic. They're just sort of right in the middle. And you know, Pickett's gonna have his good games, he's gonna have his bad games. Um, obviously they they have won two straight after getting demolished by San Fran in week one. I mean, taking down the Browns and then the Raiders. I mean, not two big opponents, but they're kind of in the same category I would put them in with the uh, Patriots, is that the really bad teams, they're going to beat them. You know, it might not be by a lot, but they're going to beat them. But then when you get to these big playoff and Super Bowl contenders, they're going to be totally outmatched. So that that's just how I see it with Pittsburgh. That's how it's going. They still are trying to develop Pickett um, at quarterback, and I think he just needs a little bit uh, more weapons. Um, you know, we'll see how that goes. I I hope he has a good year. You know, I'm rooting for the Steelers, um, but I think similar to last year, I think it's going to be, you know, they're going to be competitive, but I think they're just going to fall short uh, of the playoffs. Staying in the division, though, the the Cleveland Browns, man. I mean, I wasn't expecting a lot, honestly, but considering one of the other teams who has one of their former quarterbacks, um, the big story, I should say stories, two of them, is... Deshaun Watson not playing like a $275 million quarterback. And obviously, no Nick Chubb makes things a whole lot worse. And thank goodness on that Monday night game against Pittsburgh that it was only a torn MCL because, man, that looked ugly. Absolutely ugly for Nick Chubb. Um, you know, so I'm I'm counting my blessings on that one for, the, for uh, Chubb. But really, that was your offense right there. Because a guy who's getting guaranteed $275 million bucks should be having more than 227 pass yards per game and a completion percentage of just under 64. Okay. You got to be elite. You got to be Mahomes. You got to be uh burrow Allen. You need to be those quarterbacks. You can't be near the bottom if you're getting that kind of money. So if Deshaun Watson continues to just struggle and get worse and worse and worse, I know they won against Tennessee, but that's Tennessee. Um, but if Deshaun continues to struggle, I mean, there are going to be more fans calling for it, especially if you have Tampa continuing to play well and win with the guy who they essentially said, we're going to give up on you for this guy. Okay. So that, that's just how I see it with Cleveland. It's just, they Browns themselves. <laughs> it's, it's a trademark. Basically they shot them. They shot themselves in the foot because they continue to make bad roster moves. And one of the bad roster moves was bringing in Watson to replace a guy who took them to the playoffs. Um, 
But that's a story for for weeks down the line if uh, Deshaun continues to struggle. But obviously, the big surprise has been the Cincinnati Bengals sitting in last in the North right now. And obviously, you know, unforeseen circumstances. Week one, uh, very surprised to see them lose to the Browns. But then you have to remember that the Bengals never play good in Cleveland. And then next week, you have the Ravens and basically a shootout with also Joe Burrow, who right now has maybe the most watched calf uh, in sports right now. Um, he, I, I watched that Monday night game against the Rams, and he obviously did not look 100%. He was trying to stay in the pocket as much as he could. Um, and even when he was flushed out and he had to roll out, he was still looking a little gimpy. And you got to give him props, though, when he said the danger of going 0-3 was worse than sitting out. So he decided to give it a go. And props to him for uh, still going out there and playing. Um, but ultimately, without him, since he goes nowhere, the Bengals are going absolutely nowhere with them and the quarterback. I mean, I do think they have a very underrated defense. I like Trey Hendrickson. He's one of my favorite D-line players. <clears throat> Excuse me. But Joe Burrow is what makes the Bengals go. And similar to Rodgers with the Jets, if he's not on the field, for Cincinnati, they have no shot, no shot at all. So that's how I'm seeing with the Bengals. And I really want to monitor how Burrow looks. You know, is it going to continuously get better or does he actually need to sit out a game? You even had his own receiver, Jamar Chase, saying, yeah, he should probably uh, sit out this one. So, I mean, Burrow is going to be someone to really, really watch for. If he's not, if he's still not moving the way he uh, normally does, then that's going to be a huge issue for the Bengals. And it might be too little too late if you start off one and two and just continue to get worse. Uh, moving on, though, let's go to this AFC South. And surprise of all surprise, the leader are the Indianapolis Colts at two and one. I mean, the Colts at two and one who just played a game without Anthony Richardson. Who had that on their bingo card? That definitely wasn't. On my list right now, um, Gardner Minshew. Minshew Mania is back. I was I was always a big fan of him when he came in uh, for Jacksonville a couple of years ago, replacing Nick Foles. Um, so he's he's one of my personal favorites. You know, not saying I'm not going to make some outrageous take and say Gardner Minshew for MVP or whatever. No, I just I just like him. He's a fun character to have um, in a in the NFL, and I think he's going to be a really good serviceable backup because let's face it. You don't draft a quarterback at number four to see him sit on the sidelines. You don't do that. You don't draft them top five to see him on the sidelines. So when Richardson comes back with a concussion, he'll be back into it. But to see the Colts grind one out in overtime over the Ravens, uh, Matt Gay leading the way multiple 50 yard field goals. He had that OT game winner. Woo! What a tremendous kicking performance, but don't worry. They'll fall back to earth because, I mean, I'm not going to buy the Anthony Richardson hype. I'm not going to say he's going to turn him around just like that because everyone was all over him in week one when they beat the uh, Texans, I believe. Oh, look at how well he moved, even in the loss. Look at that arm strength, you know, all of this. No, no, I don't buy it. I'm not buying it after three weeks, okay? Give me a season of Richardson if he continues to do this, okay? And put him, <clears throat> put him up there with uh, the put him in a big matchup, you know. Put him besides Mahomes. 
put them besides Allen, all these other quarterbacks, all right? I still would take all of them over Anthony Richardson, okay? So I am not getting excited about that at all. What I am getting excited, though, about is C.J. Stroud uh, looking like a great pick uh, for the Houston Texans. I mean, I'm not expecting any success for Houston this year because, let's face it, the Texans are in a years-long rebuild. I mean, this is year three of what I think is maybe a five- or six-year rebuild, something like that, okay? But I like the offense is on a right path, especially at the helm. I mean, so far in his first three career games, C.J. Stroud, three to two yards passing uh, per game, four touchdowns, no interceptions, plus a 98 QBR, okay? That's really good. That's good in the first three games, okay? I'm very impressed, especially taking down a team in Jacksonville who many picked to win that division. I know they had history of uh, beating the Jaguars, but still, to see Stroud make those kinds of strides, very impressed. Very impressed, and I think the Texans made a smart move in picking them uh, as their quarterback. It's not going to be a good year, but I do like the potential that uh, Stroud is showing. For the Jags, no real concern here. You know, considering their division, how weak it is right now, and it is maybe the weakest division <laughs> in football. I would say that the Jaguars have nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. They are going to turn this around. They've got an experienced guy at the helm in Doug Peterson. I think, you know, you're seeing Calvin Ridley, how everyone forgot how good he was, obviously because he was suspended last year, but he's back. He made an impact in week one. No real big imp impact in two or three but he's still developing the chemistry uh, with Trevor Lawrence. You can see Lawrence going to him quite a bit, and he's going to be a big factor uh, for the Jags. I like offensively how they can carry themselves, and I don't think last year was a fluke. I think the Jaguars are here to stay. It's going to take a lot to get used to because it's been, gosh, maybe 15 years since we said look out for the Jaguars, but this is a good team. Watch out for Jacksonville. Uh, the longtime team that had success, though, in that division was the Titans. And let's face it, they're falling big time, big time. I mean, Derrick Henry right now, the lead example for why everyone has been so noncommittal on running backs. You have to wonder why DeAndre Hopkins decided to choose Ryan Tannehill to throw, uh, get his passes from. Because let's face it, Tannehill's time is over. He's, he's, he's extended his time. You know, he was a real good serviceable quarterback for some time. You know, he was revolutionary when he went came from Miami uh, to Tennessee. But let's just face it. They got to move on. They need another guy. They got to go to Will Levis. You know, do you, he might be one of those. Uh, it, it might be like a Lamar Jackson kind of thing with Joe Flacco when uh, Jackson was getting his first uh, reps and he took over for Joe Flacco. You know, they, there might be a time for Mike Vrabel to have to sit Tannehill. You got to put Levis in. And if Levis does well, then... You never know. It could be. He could be the guy because obviously it uh, did not work with uh, Malik Willis last year uh, from Liberty. Uh, for the AFC, just to wrap it up here with the West, let's just face it with the Chiefs. The only real concern is if there's no Patrick Mahomes, no Travis Kelsey out there with injuries. And for Travis Kelsey, you have to hope that nothing gets too distracted about uh, apparently being an item now with Taylor Swift. <laughs> but, you know, I, I do say that very lightly, but... Let's be honest. Look at week one. Look at how they played against Detroit on opening night. Patrick Mahomes was 
pedestrian without Travis Kelsey. Okay, 21 of 39, 226, two touchdowns and a pick. And I know, you know, he just didn't really have a lot of weapons. We saw how limited Mahomes is with these weapons. You know, that's why I said a while back when the Chiefs won that Super Bowl last year, let's pump the brakes on the Tom Brady comparisons because Brady could elevate guys who had, you know, um, subpar talent. You know, when he when Brady didn't have the Randy Moss or the Rob Gronkowski, he made guys uh, like Brandon LaFell or uh, David Givens or Daniel Graham or even our own Christian Fourier. He elevated those guys. Mahomes, ha- Mahomes has yet to do that. He's had Tyree Kill. He's had Travis Kelsey. Okay, game one without these big time weapons is showing that Mahomes is still far off, at least on that category. Okay, give him Brady's receiving core from 2005, 2006, and let's see what he does. Uh, But for the here and now, the real test won't be until Miami when those two play in Germany. The Chiefs can coast because they are winning the division and they they would get the number one seed unless something drastically changed. Because let's face it, uh, if they're dominating the Bears... Um, like that, uh, forty putting forty one up on the board against them. Um, I'm not real concerned about Mahomes' injury. Um, you know, really, again, those are the two things. If Mahomes or Kelsey, if Mahomes or Kelsey's goes down, then uh, we've got a problem uh, in Kansas City because really, there's no one else in the division that can that can test them. Not the Chargers, not the Raiders, and definitely not the Broncos. Um, the Chargers. It's just a, it's another season. It's another season of Justin Herbert and a really good offense, but this and they don't have a defense. They just don't have a defense right now that can counter counter it out, out right now. Looking at the numbers, they've allowed 450 yards per game, 337 pass yards per game. They've allowed 29 points per game. You know who's the uh, worst defense outside of them is the Broncos. And they just let up 70. So, of course, that statistic for the Broncos is going to be worse. But the fact that the Chargers, through three weeks, are at these kind of numbers, that's big concern. Big concern. Especially in the secondary when you had J.C. Jackson be a healthy scratch because he has an arrest warrant. You have this guy, Asante Samuel Jr., who's supposed to be, you know, the next big big thing for uh, for L.A. And you have a head coach who continues to make boneheaded calls. I mean, luckily, their defense bailed him out with a timely uh, red zone pick against the Vikings. But still, Brandon Staley is going to be the death of them because he knows that defense is not that good. So he had to make that call. So he's going to keep making those bonehead calls. And I would say he's probably going to be the first coach to probably get fired, if you ask me. I don't know if he's going to make it. He's not going to make it. And if the Chargers miss the playoffs, he'll definitely be gone. So unless the Chargers can get a manageable defense out there, they are not contenders at all. Not at all. Same thing with the Raiders. No consistency on defense, but I like the offense. You know, if Jimmy G can stay healthy, uh, he's made real good connections with Jacoby Myers and uh, Devontae Adams. It's, uh, it, it's the offense that's going to carry the Raiders for sure. But uh, just to put a bow on the AFC, the Broncos... My goodness, what a failed experiment so far it's been for Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. I mean, 70 points, 70 points. 
with a Sean Payton team. I mean, you got to be kidding me. That that's <laughs> it's going to be a short stint for either one of them if Denver uh, is the same as last year. I mean, you heard even lineman Garrett Bowles say that he's just tired of losing. He's been here for seven years and he just has lost for every single time. So I think if you do ask me, I think Russell Wilson will be out the door before Sean Payton because I mean, yeah, Wilson is good. You know, he's put up some good numbers, but let's just face it. Denver thought they were going to be a revolutionary team. And, you know, maybe they can get to 500, but this isn't going to be a team who's going to be turning things around and all of a sudden be contending for a Super Bowl, if you ask me. Um, so that's where I'm standing right now with Denver is it's just another failed experiment. It's it's kind of laughable when you see, like, what they poured out to get Peyton, you know, to get him away from Fox and away from New Orleans. You know, the Saints get some compensation in that. They think, like, oh, all they need is uh, the a coach because everyone was going back and forth with, is Russell Wilson the problem or is Nathaniel Hackett the problem? Obviously, management thought Hackett was the problem. They get rid of him. They bring in Peyton. So far, it seems to be Russell Wilson. So I, I'll be paying attention to them to see really how how things turn out there at a mile high because if it doesn't get any better, whew, it's going to be one of the biggest failures that uh, the league has ever seen. Okay, I need to catch my breath for just a little bit. Um, we're going to take a really, really short break, give you our usual uh, break in between segments, but then we'll go into the NFC, which teams in there, in that conference, have really been standing out so far in the first three weeks of the season. We just went through one half of the league. Let's look at the other half and turn our attention to the NFC. Which teams have been surprising, disappointing, all that kind of stuff. Again, we're doing a full breakdown of every team from the first three weeks of the season. And obviously, you have to start with the defending NFC champs, and that's the Eagles. And honestly, I'm not that impressed. I haven't really been impressed. I know that they're 3-0, and but this Eagles team doesn't look as dominant as they did last year. Of course, they had a tremendous uh, running game. Jalen Hurts took tremendous strides as a passer. Obviously, they have great weapons in A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard. Um, but really, I'm I'm not that impressed. I know they're 3-0, and but um, you remember games last year, they were just, you know, rolling over these, these teams, you know, but they just barely hang on with the Pats. Um, they just barely hung on last night, Monday night football with the Bucks, And then you had week two, they almost let the Vikings back into things. You know, they just, you know, every win has been a one score game. Um, so I guess, you know, it, it are they still going to make the playoffs? Absolutely. For sure. You know, the division still might be up in the air now with them and the Cowboys, um, considering what the Cowboys have done. Um, but honestly, I, I don't know if I can, you know, pinpoint and say, oh, definitely the Eagles will be back in the NFC Championship. They'll be back in the Super Bowl because they're just not they're not convincing wins right now. You know, they're it does seem like there's a little bit of a hangover. Obviously, you know, every team uh, goes through a Super Bowl hangover. Um, so it could 
just be that with the Eagles right now. But honestly, I I haven't really been impressed with uh what they've done to start the season three and oh, you know, they're still one of the top teams out there, but you know, until they can get a couple of dominant wins here and there, you know, it it, it looks like it's gonna be another case of a a Super Bowl team not being able to turn things around the next year. That that's ultimately what I see uh with the Eagles. But obviously I mentioned the Cowboys and let's be honest, the Cowboys look great until what they did. <laughs> what they do is basically look really strong. They win 40 to nothing uh against the Eagles. They dominate the Jets. Uh, I believe it was 38-10 was that score. And then they decide to pee down their pants and choke away a game to the Cardinals, who are maybe one of the top two worst teams uh in the in the NFC right now. And obviously everyone's going to be looking at Dak Prescott because he has that big contract or whatever. I did think the Cowboys were going to take a step back because um, they offensively don't, don't have the same amount of weapons, obviously with CD lamb being the top guy. Um, They bring in Brandon cooks um, and Michael Gallup. Obviously they let Zeke Elliott go. Um, but really, my attention has been focused on uh, defensively because let's face it, Micah Parsons is just unreal. He's an unreal defender. He should be. He should have multiple defensive player of the years when uh, his career is out. Um, but the big hit was in the secondary because obviously Travion Diggs, torn ACL, out for the year. That's a big loss on the secondary. And if you have a team like uh, who has big weapons like the Eagles, like uh, the Niners, uh, just to name a few, those those teams have really good receivers. And if the secondary is a little bit limited, you know, basically the idea when they brought in Stephon Gilmore was that he can be a good number two cornerback. Now he's going to be have to be the lead guy. He's going to have to cover the A.J. Browns. He's going to have to cover the Amonra St. Browns, uh, the uh, Debo Samuels, uh, just, to, just to name a few. Uh, that's where I think it's really going to kill him. I do think the Cowboys, you know, in terms of a Super Bowl, I think that injury might have just hurt their chances. And plus, they do what they normally do. As I said, have two good games and then totally pee down their pants. Um, So that's why I can't buy into them. And no one can really buy into them. Don't worry. They're still going to get sold by ESPN. And all they're going to be talked about every single day. But at least for me, as of right now, they are not the team that everyone expected them to be after two weeks. This is why we play 17 games and not two games, because after two games, everyone was ready to put a crown uh, that said NFC champions on top of Dallas uh, for Jerry Jones. <laughs> that is not the case. That's why we play uh, 17. Um, sticking, though, in the uh, NFC East, the New York football giants. Man, what a crash down to earth. I mean... Would you say one hit wonder so far? I mean, considering the fact that they're 0 3, it, I, you know, honestly, I have been going back and forth because, yes, Daniel Jones has looked bad, really, really bad. I mean, starting, you know, at, at one and two, when you, when you get demolished by your rival in the Cowboys, 40 to nothing, and then when you just sneak out a win, 31 to 28. Uh, with the Cardinals having to come back from 28-7 and then getting demolished on Thursday night football, 30-12 to by the expected NFC champs, everyone predicting the Niners. 
You know, outside of the Cardinal, it, it's really that Cardinals game that I'm really looking at because Cowboys contender, as I said, not Super Bowl contender, but playoff contender. Niners, Super Bowl contender. It's the Cardinals that are just really uh, that's sticking out to me. That's why I can't believe in them uh, just yet. You know, yes, they came back and won that game. And they obviously don't have their best weapon on offense on the field with Saquon Barkley. That's why That's why I'm a little bit down on the Giants this year. You know, I will say the NFC is very, excuse me, it's very wide open, uh, at least for me. You know, I could see the Packers being that wild card team. I could see the Vikings as the wild card team. You know, it, it everything's up in the air on that point. You know, the Giants, though, I have to say, it's been kind of sad to to see them kind of fall back down to earth because there, there was a lot of hype in New York and what Brian Dayball did turning that franchise around. Um, I, I hate to say it, but I don't think the Giants are going to be turning things around uh, anytime soon. I mean, unless they, they can... They can prove me wrong offensively if Daniel Jones can get a uh, Darren Waller, get that offense going, you know, show that it's not just Saquon Barkley on the offensive end. If they can do something more than that, then uh, I, I hate to say it, but the Giants are uh, are not going to be a contending team. Sorry to say that for uh, Giants fans out there, but luckily they're not going to be finishing in last place because that's where the commanders are going. And right now they're just on the path for a rebuilding franchise. I mean, if you've got Sam Howell, out there on the field, um, not a really not a ton of weapons out there. Obviously, Chase Young hasn't had the impact that he had in his rookie year. Obviously, coming back from injury, um, but that that's just what it is with the Commanders. They're on the path of a rebuilding franchise. That's what it is. Um, so nothing really more has to be said about that. Uh, moving though to the NFC North, the leaders surprisingly, hello, hello, the Green Bay Packers. Honestly. Very surprised to see them where they at. I thought Jordan Love would be good. I didn't think he'd be this good. I understand they're two and one. Obviously, they destroy the pack, uh, the Bears, but then they lose to the Falcons. Um, I I was a little skeptical about how that offense would look going from Rodgers to Love. Wasn't really concerned about that, but just sort of the weapons that were out there. I didn't think there were a ton of weapons out there for Green Bay, but sure enough, Jordan Love is keeping that franchise steady. I don't think, though, I think they're going to be they're going to be a, a playoff contender in terms of they'll be challenging a wild card spot because ultimately, I think the Lions, who I'll get to next, are going to be the team that still wins that division. What I will say, the Packers, very surprised to see them the where they are. I thought they would have been 1-2 and two instead of 2-1, uh, and one, but Jordan Love, again, he's still working through being that full-time starter. And obviously, he's keeping afloat. If he's keeping afloat, that's all Green Bay needs. That is all they need. Uh, so I do think the wild card is at least where the Packers should be, considering what they have. Um, but as I said, the Lions, they're going to be my division favorite, ultimately. I think one bad week, keep in mind, they lost in overtime to the Seahawks who are, again, a playoff contender. So they're a good team. And this is just the Lions. Uh, really, for the Lions, is I think they're going to make the postseason. They will make the postseason because that whole team rallies around Dan Campbell and sort of the culture and the attitude that he has brought to Detroit ever since he took over. I think that's a motivator within itself. But it's really going to be 
how does this team manage having these expectations? Obviously, week one, they did great knocking off the Chiefs. But as I said, the Seahawks uh, and then the game they just had this past week, which was, pulling it up real quick, knocking off the uh, Falcons 20-6. to They looked really good there. But obviously, that's a bad team that you're supposed to beat. Um, so I really do expect the Lions to, you know, don't give up on them just yet. I think they're gonna still going to win this division because the team who won it last year, the Vikings, they're the definition of inconsistency right now. You have maybe you have the best receiver in the NFL in Justin Jefferson. You have a really good rookie in Jordan Addison. You've got a top 10 tight end in TJ Hawkinson. And yet, Kirk Cousins in the offense just cannot get it done. And they sit at one and two. This is why, you know, I, not saying it's going to be all on Kirk Cousins, but he did throw that pick to lose the game uh, to the LA Chargers. So really, you know, similar to uh, all the quarterback situations I've talked about with uh, the Jets, with the Steelers, you know, it's the quarterback that makes them go. Kirk Cousins. If he limits the turnovers, you know, because let's face it, going from Dalvin Cook to Alexander Madison and then having to trade for Cam Akers, that tells you all you need to know. Um, so if you're asking me about the Vikings, um, they're not going to win the division. No. And Kirk Cousins is going to be the reason whether they succeed or whether they fail. Because, yes, they can have these comeback attempts, but it's going to be too late. How about getting it done early on? Let's talk about that, uh, at least for her. Kirk Cousins, how about we play four quarters instead of uh, two quarters or even one quarter? Um, that's that's just how I feel with Minnesota. Is is It's all on Kirk Cousins. It's all on Kirk Cousins. But it could be worse for the Vikings. They could be the Bears <laughs> because the Bears have basically taken one step forward and two steps back. I mean, Justin Fields, I thought he was supposed to be some sort of revolutionary quarterback for the Bears, and he was supposed to turn things around. But he's out there. He's looking lost. He's got guys open. You know, it's similar to Zach Wilson. Is when he's got all this time, he just panics. And you know, now you got him blaming coaches. Um, and the coaches are trying to defend Fields, and then Fields is walking his stuff back. I mean, once again, it just turns into total, total chaos, uh, for the Bears. So they are going to be right back in the cellar unless they get a drastic turn of events and i mean drastic um moving though to the south how about i want to start i i would start with the division leader but i really want to start with uh the tampa bay bucks because they're probably at least to me on the nfc side the biggest surprise so far in terms of going two and one and how baker mayfield has looked in that offense i mean i'm gonna take away the 25 to 11 loss uh to the eagles um, I'm just really going to look at their wins over the Vikings and the Chicago Bears. And I know, obviously, you have to look at the opponent. But, I mean, come on. You can't deny what Baker Mayfield has done for this Tampa team. And I'll just put it out there like this. I was always a believer in Baker Mayfield. I was always a fan. I thought he was unjustly... Uh, he, he got unjustly uh, kicked out of basically his job with the Cleveland Browns. And... When you put, it's two things. When you give him good weapons and when you give him time in a system, then he's a really good quarterback. He's a really good quarterback. When you go from 
I guess, DJ Moore and Robbie Chosen Anderson and uh, just a bunch of no-names on the Rams. If you go from that to then Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, just to name a few, that's a big transition. And not only that, but the Panthers brought Baker along in July. He then was cut and brought on with the Rams in November or December. I forget uh, which month it was. Baker was signed in May. He was in May. It was May, I believe, when, or it might have been earlier than that, maybe like April or something like that. But either way, Baker was signed at a proper time, and he was properly developed in that offense. And sure enough, look at what happens when you give him the time and you give him the weapons. He looks just as good as he did when Cleveland made the playoffs during the COVID year in 2020. Okay, so I am a believer in Baker Mayfield, and I would not be shocked. I would not be shocked, considering the division that it is, I would not be shocked to see Tampa win that division. You know, it's not going to be maybe an 8-9 or a 7-10 maybe winning division, you know, but because, yes, it it does stink. That division stinks. But if the Bucs are going to win it, they would be, right now, if, if I were to go on FanDuel or DraftKings and put a bet in, I would say that the Bucs can win that division. I really think they can. And I'm going to tell you why because of these next three teams. You start with the Saints. Obviously, they were everyone's pick because of Derek Carr uh, coming in. But let's face it. They're the Steelers of the NFC. They're going to be competitive. And now you've got Derek Carr hurt. He's going to hurt his shoulder. And I understand it's not that big of a jump uh, going to Jameis Winston. And Jameis Winston is a capable QB. Uh, But let's face it. I mean, the Saints are just, they're too inconsistent. They're too inconsistent for me. And I can't really bank on Derek Carr that much. The Falcons, meanwhile, they need more of a pass game. From uh, Desmond Ritter. They're relying so much on Bijan Robinson, Tyler, Algier, I believe is how you say it. They're relying so much on the run game that um, they really, it's making up for the lack of pass and the lack of uh, air attack that they have. I mean, who's their only target? Kyle Pitts? Really? They don't have really any other uh, receivers that can make a threat. So I can't believe in the Falcons until they get a pass game going. And then the Panthers, again, similar to Atlanta. They need to throw more with Bryce Young. Plus, they are a rebuilding franchise. It's those reasons why I would put money on Tampa to win that division. Uh, But then just to, again, put a bow on the whole NFL, let's talk about that NFC West. 49ers, nothing more to say. They're just the cream of the crop in the NFC. It's hard to stop a team that really has everything when they've got a tremendous defense led by uh, Nick Bosa. You have an offense that's just loaded with weapons. McCaffrey, Debo, IU, Kittle, uh, just to name a few. And Brock Purdy finally is showing that he isn't no fluke. You know, the idea that everyone had with Kyle Shanahan was like, oh, you could put any quarterback in there and they would succeed. Really? Then why didn't Trey Lance succeed? (laughs) Why is Brock Purdy the guy? Why is he the guy? Why was Jimmy Garoppolo not the guy? Because Purdy actually has this talent. He's a game manager. And I truly believe that Purdy is going to be the quarterback for the Niners uh, for years to come. And really the only challenger that they have in that division is the Seahawks, which I still expect them to be wildcard challengers. And it all comes down really to Geno Smith. Um, Was last year a fluke, similar to the Giants and with Daniel Jones. Is this just going to be another one-hit wonder, or is Geno actually for real when you play him with uh, Seattle? The Rams, they're still rebuilding. Um, I mean, it's what happens when you sell out for a Super Bowl. And it also shows how important Cooper Cup 
uh, has been for the Rams. I mean, yes, they have Aaron Donald on defense. He's the guy that makes the engine go. Um, but really, offensively, it's Cooper Cup. You saw with Matthew Stafford during that Super Bowl year how much he targeted Cup, and this hamstring has just been bothering Cup for over a year now, over a year. And if he's not on the field, that's where the Rams are not going to be able to go. They're not going to go anywhere without him on the field. I will say, Puka Nakua, Tutu Atwell, very impressed uh, with the young receivers that they have. And you put Cup with them, then Stafford can feel a little bit more confident uh, in his throws. And then if he can just get protection from the offensive line. And then lastly, nothing more to say about Arizona. Josh Dobbs is their quarterback, okay? They're rebuilding. Nothing more to say about that. Um, So, yeah, that is just a big breakdown three weeks into the NFL season. It won't be this huge breakdown, you know, every single time, but just had to get it out there uh, with the NFL getting underway. So there will definitely be a lot more to talk about each show we have uh, with the NFL. But we do have to transition to baseball because while the NFL started, the baseball season is just now really getting good because the playoffs, that's right, playoffs are about to get underway in less than a week. And the question is, who are going to be the remaining playoff teams? That will be answered up next. So like I said to tease things, while all the attention has been on the NFL season getting underway, the baseball playoffs are about to get started. The regular season is about to come to an end. We are less than a week away uh, from the regular season coming to an end. We already have a couple of teams who have already clinched their spots. That would be the Braves, the Dodgers, the Brewers, the Twins, the Rays, and the Orioles. Obviously, everyone is paying attention, at least in the baseball world, to the wild card standings because what a finish this is going to be right now you have the rays who are in that first spot at least in the american league they already clinched their spot they're still fighting for the division you have the blue jays in the second spot who is a game and a half up on houston who's got the final spot and then the mariners who have a game and a half behind them and obviously you can't forget that third team who's leading the AL West right now and that's the Texas Rangers that's really what it's coming down to it's uh the AL West you know the Rangers are two and a half up on the Astros in that division and they're four up on the Mariners so really before uh this podcast even gets released the Rangers might uh clinch their spot already but the schedule just works out so beautifully so beautifully right now where you have basically all these three teams are going to be playing each other right now. Um, it, I mean, for Houston, I want to start with the Astros, obviously, because they are the defending champs. I mean, they picked the worst time and opponent to be swept in the Kansas City Royals. They got swept over the weekend by the Royals. They've lost, uh, just getting the number here right, 12 of their last 16 games, okay? They've lost 12 of 16, which has ultimately put them in this hole where they have to start really winning everything now. They got to start winning everything. Okay. Considering, you know, right now where the wild card is right now, they are in that final spot with the Mariners. And the Mariners have also struggled as well. And I do think they can get in with their pitching, but 
Seattle, and Texas playing each other. Again, similar to how Texas can clinch, the Mariners might be eliminated by the time this comes out, considering that they are four back. But I'm just going back and forth here from the regular standings and the wild card, really looking at it right now. Seattle being a game and a half. Seattle needs to win this series. They absolutely need to win the series against Texas. They got to win these next two games because then uh, next up for Seattle um, is uh, actually, no, they're playing Houston. Excuse me. Uh, The Mariners are playing Houston and then they will be playing Texas. So they have to win the series. They need to win this first one to start off. Okay. Obviously, because if they win uh, two out of three, you do the math, they will be a game, uh, a half game up on the Astros uh, for that third wild card spot. But then they have to go to Texas, and Texas might will have already uh, clinched the division possibly. It really depends. So ultimately, I think Texas is in a really good spot. I think they're going to win the division, um, considering that they are playing the Angels right now. The Angels are not playing for anything, and uh, they'll be playing Seattle at some point, who might already be eliminated. So I like where Texas is. I like where Toronto is as well. I know they're a game and a half up, but considering the schedule, they've got really uh, the Rays um, who are still fighting for the division. They're still trying to win the East. Um, I think they're only two games back, maybe two and a half back of the Orioles. Um, And then you have uh, the Yankees, who again, playing for nothing because they got eliminated. So, I think I like the Blue Jays where they are right now. So ultimately, at least in the American League, it's going to come down to Houston and Seattle. And I, again, I, I said this a couple of ex- episodes ago. I was really surprised and don't be shocked if Houston maybe misses the postseason because they don't have the same team that they've had uh, with these championship runs. I mean, the lineup isn't producing the way they are. Their starting pitching has really, really been struggling. They brought on Justin Verlander, but he hasn't been sort of the savior. You have him, Javier, um, all these all these starters are just not performing the way that the Astros pitching has been for years to come. Now, maybe it's one of those things where they just have to get into the postseason um, and they'll be good. But I mean, come on, they're 39 and 42 at home. That's not good if you want to be a championship level team. I mean, you have all these other teams. They have the worst home record of any team. I mean, hell, the Yankees have a better record than them, and maybe the Red Sox could have a better record than them. The Guardians could have a better record than them uh, for a home team. So that's not good for Houston, okay? So they really, their lineup, I said it was really about the starting pitching. That's number one. Number two is they uh, starting, their lineup has to get so much better in terms of production. I mean, obviously you have Altuve, who is is he gets really hot and cold. He's a very streaky hitter. He's a streaky hitter. Alex Bregman has obviously been struggling. We haven't seen the power from uh, Jordan Alvarez just yet. So maybe it's one of those unless, you know, as long as they can get in, they'll have a shot. But as of right now, uh, considering the way things would be uh, from a playoff perspective, the wild card round, they would be playing the Twins, I believe. Just have to I have to do the math real quick. I keep forgetting that there is a buy uh, for the East right now. So uh, the last team, the Wild Card, would be playing the uh, first team without a buy, which I believe is the Twins. So 
Yes, it would be it would be Twins as of right now it'd be it would be uh Twins Astros and Blue Jays God, I really, I really gotta, uh, I gotta really think about this. Um, I'll, I'll get back to you on on playoffs, but essentially, like someone's gonna be getting the Twins, and the Twins are eighty three and seventy three. So maybe if Houston gets that spot and they draw the Twins, they can beat them. They can win that series. So maybe it's one of those. If Houston gets in, then they'll start really picking things up. It could be that we don't know that for sure. But the fact that Houston is in this spot to begin with. It's saying a lot about what the future might hold um, for the Astros. And I think just Seattle, they just struggled way too much. I mean, they lost four straight now. I think it's just too little too late for them. So if you had to ask me right now, the way it looks, the Rays, the Blue Jays, and the Astros would be my three teams to make the AL wild card. The NL wild card, though, is just as entertaining, I got to say. I mean, considering that there are still... Uh, there are still three spots in uh, the wild card race, and there are still seven teams available for it. I mean, let, let's be honest. I'll, I'll just put it the way it is right now. Padres will be gone at five and a half back, and the Giants will be gone. They're four and a half back. But right now, when you look at it, you have the Phillies in the top spot. They're five up. I fully expect them to clinch and have that top spot. Then you have the Diamondbacks and the Cubs who are tied, and you have the Marlins who are one game back of them and the Reds who are two and a half back of them. I got to say, I have been, I have not been paying attention to the Diamondbacks because let's face it, you know, you look in the statistical categories and really the best thing that they have is base running. I mean, they're top five in the league in stolen bases um, and they don't really have a standout player or a standout hitter or a standout pitcher, but they've just got, they've got four steady hitters, Christian Walker, Ketel Marte, Corbin Carroll, and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. That's really all it is. Basically, they're in mid-pack, and they've just been rolling mid-pack the rest of the way. And you know it is, and you know what I do have to say? It's kind of similar to what the Red Sox did in 2021. They got off to a really good start. They were winning their division at some point. And then post-All-Star break, they started struggling and coming back down to earth a little bit. And that's really what I see with the Diamondbacks right now is they're just coasting along in the mid-pack right now. They're just coasting along right now because their ERA is 20th right now for a team at 453. Um, So honestly, I don't know what I would say about the Diamondbacks. I mean, they are right now, um, they're playing the Yankees right now. Or, or I think they just played a um, makeup game. Just <laughs> you can tell how much I've been paying attention. Uh, no, they're playing the White Sox right now, um, and then they will be getting another team out there, which I think is winnable. It's going to be uh, the White Sox. They have a series with the White Sox, uh, so they just finished up a series with the Yankees. Um, which they did lose uh, that final game to New York, Chicago and Houston. Those are the last two right there. And you know, Houston's going to be playing for something. So, um, you know, if, if the Diamondbacks can win the series with the White Sox, then they have a really good shot. It really comes down to this series. Cause I think Houston's still going to be playing for something, um, which to me doesn't feel good, at least for the Diamondbacks, uh, 
side of things because I mean they do have a minus 18 run differential right now so I wouldn't I wouldn't feel confident in locking down the Diamondbacks just yet and it only takes one game and a Marlins victory um you know this this is where the schedule is right now considering where it is the Diamondbacks lead it I would be very surprised considering the schedule that the Cubs have um if they do not make it if they don't make it in the postseason because they have come really from out of nowhere, if you ask me. You know, they they have a Cy Young candidate in Justin Steele, which I think for me would probably be my pick to win the Cy Young uh, in the NL just because he's been that good. Then you have Cody Bellinger leading the way from the lineup. But you have the Cubs who, yes, they're playing the Braves, but the Braves have nothing to play for except home field. You have the Brewers who aren't playing for anything. They can't really, um, They can't really go anywhere. um they're 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 locked in where they're be they're not gonna move a seat or not they've already won their division so there's nothing really there uh to play for so i would be very shocked to see the cubs not make it i mean they just swept the rockies they had a really light schedule i mean the the losing two out of three though to pittsburgh really really hurts that hurts and then you know a while back they had lost five straight so uh really right now in their last 10 they are Six, seven, eight. They're four and eight in their last twelve. So that's really been killing them right now. And the the offense just hasn't been where it is. So they need they need to take two out of three from Atlanta. They really need to take two out of three. Maybe the Braves can play spoiler, and then they've got to maybe get one with the Brewers. So if they can get four wins in their next uh, six games, then I think they're going to win. That I think they're going to get their spot. And plus, they would be my favorite to sort of lock it down because the Marlins just lost their ace, Sandy Alcantara, who's really had to do everything for the Marlins for many, many years right now. And I know the schedule is favorable for the Marlins playing the Mets and the Pirates. I know both of them are on the road, but let's just face it. Alcantara was the guy. He was the guy that makes them go. And I hate to say it, but I think the Marlins are the team that's going to get knocked out. Um, Same thing with the Reds, you know, I did say a while back that the Reds are still the success and the overachievers um, in the majors right now because everyone still thought they were a rebuilding franchise. But now that they're contending for a playoff spot, I think they should still be very happy with that. But for me, I would probably say the Cubs uh, and the uh, – I'm not locking down a pick just yet. Uh, I still have to think about it for just a, a quick second. Um the Cubs, I, I like how they're constructed. I like their rotation and I like their lineup. And then you know what? I think I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say the Marlins. I think the Marlins can uh can rally and get ahead of the Diamondbacks and get themselves into their postseason. You know, I, I really do think so. I'm just gonna go out on a limb with that. You know, don't take that fan duel bet to the bank though. <laughs> because if you ask me, uh, that's that's probably not a smart play. Um, you've you've seen how I've been sort of stuttering through all of this. Um, but it will be fun once postseason gets underway. And next week there actually might be a special guest joining me to break down the MLB playoffs. So stay tuned for that. And also stay tuned for our next segment, or let's get local segment, where we look at how the Patriots have started their year and how the Red Sox are ending theirs. This is our city. Now 
Now, as we always do at this time, let's look at our local teams and get to our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And we'll get to the uh, Celtics and Bruins a little bit in some future episodes because they're just starting their training camp. Bruins are just starting their preseason. We also might have some special guests come along. So again, eyes and ears open for that. But this week is going to be all about Patriots and Red Sox. And majority of it is going to be stuck on the Patriots because they are the last team that I did not break down because I need a little bit more time with them since obviously the eyes are focused more on them than any other team in the league. So obviously we know that the Patriots saved themselves from an 0-3 start winning over the Jets at MetLife 15-10. The previous weeks before that, it was a 25-20 loss to the Eagles and a 24-17 loss to the Dolphins. And the big story with the Patriots is this back-and-forth mantra, I guess, of where the struggles lie. You know, do you think Mac Jones is good or do you not think Mac Jones is good? So there's a balance between whether it's on him for the offensive struggles or the offensive line for the struggles. Because fans are on one side of the other. You can't divvy it right down the middle. But I'm going to try and do that here for all you listeners out there. We'll put it at it like this. This is from NFL Next Gen Stats. Mac has the fourth lowest average time to throw among quarterbacks in the NFL. It's just under two and a half seconds to throw as an average. Um, He's only averaging six yards per attempt, which ranks 27th among quarterbacks right now. Um, You also look at just some standard numbers. Okay. Mac Jones is 81 of 25 so far. He's got the third most completions among quarterbacks and the second most attempts. He's also got a completion percentage of 64.8, which is 20th right now. Now, part of that has to do with the offensive line because the offensive line has been basically, they're basically a bunch of backups playing with each other, most of them. Or I should say, no, I should say this, is that the offensive line has been injured quite a bit and they haven't had any time in training camp, or in preseason games to have their starting unit out there together because Mike Onwenu missed a lot of time with injury. Now Cole Strange is missing time with injury. Trent Brown had some, you know, issues slash contract, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, So basically, when you had a starting line of Trent Brown, uh, City Sow, David Andrews, Antonio Maffi, and I believe Calvin Anderson was on the right side. Um, that's not good. That's not good. That's not the offensive line you want because the starting offensive line would have been from left to right. Trent Brown, uh, Cole Strange, David Andrews, uh, Mike Owenu, and um, I think like Calvin Anderson or something like that. Or uh, Riley Reef. It was supposed to be Riley Reef, but now Riley Reef is on IR. You also have other defenders um, on IR. You know, we'll get to that in a little bit. But not only does the offensive line stink right now, but the running game has basically been non-existent. And that's why Mac is having to throw so much and having to make all of these completions, okay? Ramondre Stevenson is not the same player that we saw last year. He's, you know, I've I've watched the game so many times with uh, Nick Fitzy Stevens and Andy Hart before we do our Six Rings postgame show uh, after every Patriots game on WEEI. This little plug there. Um, and Ramondre is not the same runner. He's he's too hesitant, you know, at the line of scrimmage. Really, his strength 
is being a downhill runner and just going full force, you know, at whatever, whatever gap there may be. It could be a really small window for a gap, and Ramondre can just burst it open. He hasn't been doing that. He's been way too conservative at the line of scrimmage when he gets these handoffs. And then you obviously have Ezekiel Elliott, where, where everyone has said that he's basically the guy to fill in for Ramondre. You know, maybe he gets some red zone, uh, some goal line carries, uh, stuff like that. We haven't really seen that from him. So the run game, which was supposed to be the strength of the Patriots offense, is not a strength right now, which is why the pass game has been so reliant. And it's because of this struggling offensive line. When you have Antonio Mafi and city South, couple of rookies going against a vaunted uh, Eagles defense and a Dolphins defense, and even guys like Quinn and Williams for the jets, you know, they haven't been consistently giving Mac time. You know, they've been steady, but they're not giving him enough time. Plus, you don't have the run game. And not only that, but when Mac has had to throw, you don't have the outstanding talent of a guy you could have had like a DeAndre Hopkins, or you look at other really good teams. They don't have a clear and cut number one, which has been the issue for years now for the Pats. They don't have a number one target. Obviously, Mac has his favorites that he likes to throw to. He's loving the tight ends right now with Hunter Henry and Mike Gesicki. Uh, He loves targeting Devontae Parker, and he loves targeting Kendrick Bourne. But you have other big signings like Juju Smith-Schuster, who was supposed to be this big-time receiver, and now he's basically fourth on the receiver depth chart. Um, You have maybe the guy who has the most speed for an offense that needs speed in Tyquan Thornton, currently sitting on IR. And then, of course, you have rookies that you have in the passing game, too, like Demario Douglas, who got benched for for, uh, fumbling, and then you had Kayshawn Booty, who needs to learn how to drag his feet. Otherwise, the drive might have continued against Philadelphia. Okay, so right now, Mac Jones's role is a game manager. And so far, to me, he's done a good job of it. Not a great job, but a good job, okay? He's got five touchdowns to two interceptions. He's been holding, you know, he's been limiting the turnovers from this offense. That's Basically what a game manager has to do. The only thing that he has to get better on are these comebacks and these two-minute warning drives, okay? You had drives um, in the Jets game that you could have put away. You know, after the Patriots get the safety, they tackle Zach Wilson in the end zone. They make it 15-10. to You had a drive where you could have put the game away, and Mac couldn't do that, okay? He's really off on his throws. He doesn't have the arm strength to get these deep shots. I mean, yes, it was a 58-yard touchdown, 58 yard touchdown to Farrell Brown, but it was just a little lob, and Farrell Brown just ran about 35 yards. That's all it was. He can't get those deep shots because he doesn't have the arm strength for it, okay? So he's so he can only get these 7 to 8 yards passes or these screen plays or anything like that. So it's just a matter of that with Mac. okay? I think through these first three weeks, he's done a good job, not a great job, but a good job, okay? So what I see with the offense right now is it can definitely get better. But what you see is what you get. And what you see is a mid-pack defense. And it can win you some games, and it can lose you some games. Similar to last year, you can win against the really crappy teams, like the Jets, eventually the maybe the Broncos and the Colts and stuff like that on the schedule. But 
when you go against the really good teams, like the Eagles, like the Dolphins, the upcoming Cowboys, that's where you're going to struggle, okay? So so, uh, that's the offensive side of the ball. The defensive side of the ball, similar. They've been all right. But really, I want to focus more on Christian Gonzalez because I'm going to take you back to draft night uh, for those of you that uh, don't know. It was the Rich Keefe Show. They had a live draft party going on. It was Rich Keefe of the Rich Keefe Show, the aforementioned Fitzy and Hart, and then you also had a producer for the Greg Hill Show, uh, Chris Schein. Um, What happens on draft night? They have the 14th pick the Patriots do. The clear need is offensive tackle. And when the announcement comes that they have traded that pick to, I believe it was the Steelers, and they took an offensive tackle. Keith was upset. Fitzy was upset. Hart was upset. But then they get to the 17th pick, and Roger Goodell announces Christian Gonzalez as the pick, as the rookie corner. Everyone's happy. Everyone's happy. Rich gives a big fist pump. Fitzy puts his arms in the air, and he's screaming. Um, And obviously, Hart and Shime are happy with it, too. And this is where it pays off. Because initially we were like, okay, it's a good pick, but you should have gone for your bigger need, which was offensive tackle. But look at what Gonzalez has done. He held A.J. Brown in check. He held Tyreek Hill in check. He smothered Garrett Wilson at times. Okay? Right now, Christian Gonzalez is defensive rookie of the year. That is who I believe should win it because he has been tremendous. He had a great interception. I mean, yes, Tua underthrew the ball to uh, Tyree Kill, but still go up and get it. And what Christian Gonzalez has done in a limited secondary, because you got to keep in mind, Jack Jones is on IR with a hamstring. Jonathan Jones has been out. Um, and so they're having to rely. Got, uh, Marcus Jones, forgot him. Marcus Jones is also out. He's on IR. So the Pats have been relying guys like, Miles Bryant and Sean Wade to stop guys like Jalen Waddle and uh, 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 Randall Cobb and uh, Alan Lazard, just to name a few guys. The fact that Gonzalez has stepped up to these number one receivers and has held them in check so far, I am extremely impressed with what Gonzalez has done. The problem, though, defensively is on that defensive line. They're having a really hard time. You know, obviously they're going to stop the Jets. I'm, I'm going to put the Jets aside for a second. But it's overall, from a run game perspective, I mean, they let Raheem Mostert just go off. Go off. They were having their way. They let Mostert rip off like a 40-yard run for a touchdown. Okay, so, I mean, the... The defense, Adam Jones of the uh, of Jones and Mego likes to say that it's kind of an overrated defense in that they can play well against bad offenses and they can struggle against um, really good offenses. I kind of agree with them on that standpoint. I think this is sort of just going to be sort of a middling team right now. I mean, the fact that they were able to hold hold the Eagles and hold the Dolphins. I mean, the, I will say the defense does look better now considering the Dolphins just put up 70 points and the Pats defense held them to only 24. So that looks good in contrast to the following week. So I will say that's where their credit is. It's going to be a defense first team. This is going to be a defense first team. Um, 
Could it get better? Absolutely, they can get better. Um, you know, Matthew Judon needs to be more of a disruptor. Um, they've got to, you know, they, they're dropping him in coverage so much, basically because they have to, because they have injuries. You know, they just don't have the speed or the talent, I think, to be, you know, an elite defense right now. And I don't think it's going to get any better this Sunday, especially when you have to go to Dallas and play the Cowboys. You know, just looking defensively, I could see Christian Gonzalez holding down C.D. Lamb, but it's more so on the run attack. You know, are they going to be able to contain Dak Prescott and contain Tony Pollard? And then offensively, do you really expect either Trent Brown or uh, Vidarian Lowe or uh, Tyrone Wheatley Jr. to hold down Micah Parsons? Good luck. The Pats will be lucky to keep this a one-score game. They will be very very lucky with that. So those are my thoughts on the Pats so far. We really got to move on now, though, because I have to mention the Red Sox as they have basically punt on their season a couple of weeks ago. Basically, the death nail in the season was firing Heim Bloom. And honestly, I was getting excited that there were hopes of not finishing in last place. The Yankees, I was getting excited that the Yankees were going to finish in last. They were going to finish with a sub 500 record. But then the Red Sox just Red Sox themselves and they do what they have been doing for multiple years now, and that's just living in the inconsistency. But really, as I said, Death Nail was the firing of Heim Bloom. And ultimately, again, I'm sort of this guy who sort of meets in the middle. I'm not on, you know, one side or the other of like they shouldn't have fired him or they absolutely should have fired him. Basically, what I see with Heim Bloom is that he never, there were two things that he really could never do. Number one was he could never figure out balancing the major leagues and the minor leagues. Because when he came into power um, at the end of 2019 and into the pandemic, obviously he had challenges with that. He also had a huge payroll that he had to manage and a weakened farm system. And what did he do? He built up the farm system back. And as I tweeted out when he got fired is that years from now, he will get credited for this next young core that the Red Sox have, the core of Jaron Durant and Tristan Casas and maybe Yoshida and maybe Devers, but all of these young guys like Willier Abreu, who we've seen, and Manuel Valdez, uh, Sedan, Rafaela, maybe Marcelo Meyer also as well when he eventually comes up to the bigs. Um, he did a great job of that, but he also did not balance out the major league roster, okay? He was so focused on one. He was so focused on the minors that he never realized the holes that there were in the majors. There was always a hole somewhere. There was a hole at first base. There was a hole at shortstop. There was a hole in the bullpen, at the back end of the bullpen. Now there's a hole in starting pitching, okay? So there was always a hole, and he never plugged it up. He really just focused on those minors, and he thought, okay, don't worry. In two years, this guy will help fix that hole. The problem is you don't have two years when you're managing the Boston Red Sox, okay? You need to get it done within a year. And ultimately, when they were basically eliminated and there were and they fell back to 500 and there was there were a strong likelihood that they finish in last place, that's when they made the deal. That's when they cut ties. Okay, so that's problem number one. 
was not balancing the minor leagues with the major leagues. Okay. Rebuilding the farm system versus versus keeping the Red Sox afloat. Okay. Because when you go to the major side of things, you know, you get Kyle Schwarber only because he was dealing with an injury. You get Adam Duvall last minute. Um, you get um just just naming a, a few other guys. Um Trevor Story, when you already have Xander Bogarts, okay? He looked more towards the future. And I think the phrase is two years away from being two years away. That was basically his motto in terms of being a GM. That was number one. Uh, number two was the big move. Every GM for the Red Sox has always made a big move. You look at uh, Theo. He uh, had the big move. He had multiple big moves, you know, just, just to name a few, you know, for uh, 2004, uh, before then, he brought along uh, Kurt Schilling to pair with uh, Pedro. He didn't make the move for Alex Rodriguez, which turned out well because you still had Manny Ramirez. Uh, he went and got Daisuke. Um, he made the big trades of, you know, or he made big signings, which obviously didn't work, but he still made those big moves of getting, uh, signing David Price, getting Adrian Gonzalez, getting Carl Crawford. Uh, you look at Sherrington, you know, he he made big uh, trades. Obviously, at the, the trade deadline, he gets uh, Jake Peavy, and that helps. You look at Dombrowski, he trades for Chris Sale. He uh, signs J.D. Martinez. You know, he made these big moves. Bloom didn't do that. He never even thought about getting the big-time player and that big-time talent, and the only time he did was when he was really pressured from a fan base to sign Rafael Devers. but. I mean, he just a couple of free agency named Adam Duvall, Justin Turner, Masataka Yoshida, Kenley Jansen. You know, these were good signings, but again, big game time changing moves. He never did that. Never did that at all, which is why Heimblum was ultimately fired and ultimately why the Red Sox will once again finish in last place in the ALEs for the second time. Uh, for the second straight time and third time in the last four years. And the way this team is now, you know, we'll, we'll sort of, we'll get more into the uh, off season plans next week. Maybe when there's a special guest, wink, wink. Um, but that is ultimately, I just had to get that high bloom stuff out there. You know, there are multiple reasons why he should be fired, but years from now, if the Sox, can have success and they can contend for championships yet again with this young core that they have with Tristan Casas, Jaron Duran, all those guys I mentioned, then he will get credit. But in the here and now he's not getting any credit. He's just getting, you know, crapped on for just really bad uh, general manager moves. Um, so that's how it is with Bloom, And I, I hope he, you know, he, cause he is a good person, you know, at least the stories I've heard from, our uh, Red Sox announcers, Joe Castiglione and Will Fleming. Um, he's very open. Um, he's very, you know, I can't I can't say honest, but you know, he's he's willing to chat, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I hope he does have success um with a with another ball club. You know, he just it's again another case of uh talent not keeping up and basically drowning in the Boston media market, you know, the kind of market that Boston has. So that's where it is with Bloom. That's where it is with the Sox and the Patriots. Hopefully things can turn around quickly for those two teams, uh, for the Pats this season and for the Sox next season. But up next, we wrap up 
this return show with a staple as we end the show. It's our LOL moment of the week. up our show we go to our lol moment of the week and i know there might be one obvious one out there there might be the taylor swift dating rumors the fact that she was in a press box at the chiefs game rooting on travis kelsey um we are not actually going to do that we're actually going to do something a little different it does involve the nfl it does involve football uh but this one is actually going to go uh just getting the Physically up here. Here we go. We're actually going to Minnesota to the Vikings game because there's a tradition at halftime of all Vikings games, and that is the halftime game between uh, some junior football players and a couple of mascots. And it seems that the mascots always seem to take things a little bit too far. A little bit too far. Uh, this video will prove it. We're going to go. This is a handoff to the Atlanta Braves mascot. Uh, name is Blooper. It's a very odd name. But he decides to pull out the Derrick Henry and just stiff arm all of these kids out of the way. And he's just taunting the kids like, you can't stop me. You can't stop me. Look at this. He just gets the side. He finds the lane. He's just like, get out of here, kid. And then he's just like, it takes like four or five of them. To pull him down, he's just like shoving him off, shoving him off. And I, I, I got to be honest, I don't even know how this came to be a tradition where mascots just basically abuse little kids uh, in football games. I thought the idea of bringing kids onto a field would be like, okay, let's just let them win. Let's see what it's like for them to uh, score a touchdown. Um, but no, the mascots decide to really take it to the extreme. I mean... There were a couple of years ago where the uh, the Vikings did this and like the Minnesota mascot did like four or five stiff arms. He was just like pushing kids out of the way. I don't know why this is a good idea for um, the mascots. I know if it was me and I was a kid and I was getting like abused and taunted by these mascots, I would take it a little bit personally. I'd pull up that Michael Jordan meme from the, the last dance be like, and I took that personally. So I'm not sure why this is still going on and why it's such a popular thing, I guess. You know, at least, you know, I only see these videos. I haven't seen like all of these in their entirety, but I at least I hope these mascots are at least like letting the kids like tackle them or like score touchdowns or anything like that, because this is a very odd tradition to to have um, at, at NFL stadiums. Um, but Hey, if Minnesota likes it, if it keeps driving up the uh, the ratings and the profits and that kind of stuff, uh, I guess let it go on with it. So uh, Blooper, the Atlanta Braves mascot, um, and I guess in subcontext, the Minnesota Vikings for letting these mascots just run all over these kids and delivering stiff arms and taunting them one after another. It's once again their turn to land their spot into this week's LOL moment of the week. And just like that, we are done with this edition, number 87 of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us wherever 
you get your podcast make sure you're following me uh personally on x and on instagram to search joe braverman on x joe braverman pbp uh and we also have pages for this podcast on facebook and instagram just search let me speak podcast we will be back next week with a brand new edition of let me speak later